Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. talking about the prophet Joel that's who we're going to be looking at today in this year of acceleration as we look at how God wants to accelerate us this year into his purposes into his plans we're going to look at the prophet Joel and Joel faced a big problem he'd already had in his nation all kinds of things go wrong they've been invaded by various armies but then something was coming against him in fact something had come against them that just ripped him off completely they came out of nowhere and it didn't seem like there was anything that they could do to be able to stop this onslaught and it had happened once it happened twice it happened three times it happened four times and it was about to happen again and so he starts to pray what was this army that came against him let's watch the video how cool is that <laughs> anybody going kind of go let me read from the message version of um, the book of Joel in the Old Testament this is what he says Attention, listen closely, everyone, whoever and wherever you live. Have you ever heard anything like this? Has anything like this ever happened before? Don't let this message die out. What the chewing locust left, the gobbling locust ate. What the gobbling locust left, the munching locust ate. What the munching locust left, the chomping locust ate. He's actually using four different Hebrew words to describe different uh, kinds of locusts, maybe different stages in which they came and they just ravaged and they took away unexpectedly everything that they'd worked for, everything they'd saved for, everything that they had, everything they trusted in, all of the harvest, all of the stuff that they thought they could depend on. Suddenly, a swarm came through and swept it all away. And just as they started to rebuild, it came again. And just as it came, they started to rebuild again. It came again. And just when they finally began to start to get it built up again, it came through again. So he carries on. Get in touch with reality and weep. My country's been invaded by an army. Past numbering, invincible, teeth like a lion, fangs like a tiger. It's ruined my vineyard, stripped my orchards. The landscape is a moonscape. This is what it feels like to just have everything taken away and to look out at what should be green fields and harvest ready and just to see desolation all around him. So notice this is a personal disaster first and foremost that's affected him. It's affected his finances. It's affected his hopes for the harvest. All been stolen away unexpectedly. Everything that he expected has been taken away. Everything that he worked for, everything that he hoped for, now it's just empty. Some of you know what that's like. For the locusts to come and rob and steal and take away from you personally, in your family, it's a personal disaster. But as we read on, you find actually something surprising because Joel's not so much... Although he's, he's sad about that, what really breaks his heart is something else. There's something else that affects him even more deeply than how this has affected him because there's, there's somebody that he loves. There's something that he loves that's also been affected, which is actually something that he's made more important in his life than his own finance and his own comfort and his own circumstances. He hates what has happened to the temple, to the temple of God. Because you see, this plague of locusts, because that had been wiped out, people were no longer bringing anything to God at the temple they're not bringing anything to God for his work in the world for his worship and that is what tears Joel 
apart. He says, without grain and grapes, worship has been brought to a standstill in the sanctuary of God. The priests are at a loss. God's ministers don't know what to do. You know, people are saying, well, you know, times are hard. What can you expect? You can't expect us to be able to bring anything. You can't expect us to be able to give anything to God now. And so the ministry stopped dead. Now, Joel knew something of why that would happen because he would look back in, in the rest of the Bible and he would see that other prophets had foretold it and God himself had said it very clearly. What would happen to Israel if people decided to turn their backs on God and just be able to do it their own way? In fact, he told them, first of all, positively, he said, be careful to act, he said to Joshua, accordance with all I commanded. Do not turn aside from my word. Don't turn to the right or to the left. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to act in accordance with all that is written in it. For then you shall make your way prosperous and then you shall be successful. And, and of course he would realise the opposite of that is also true. God's ways, he's saying, if you turn away from them, if you decide to just work it out for yourself, and guess what? You're going to end up with problems. Before that, Deuteronomy chapter 27, God said, if you follow me. If you follow me, I will bless you. And then he detailed actually a whole chapter full of the blessings of obedience. And this is going to come on people who do what I say, my way. But in the next chapter, as you turn it over, he says, but if you disobey me, if you, if you turn away from the things that I've said, it won't be a blessed land and you, you won't be a blessed people. I won't be able to bless you like I really want to do. You won't be able to be the blessing that you're meant to be in the nation. In fact, he says, the devourer will come. Judgment will come. Plagues and enemies will come and you'll find yourself defenseless against them. He says, you will carry much seed into the field, but gather little in. He said, he warned it specifically, the locust shall consume it. So God warned them, this is what happens. And so Joel knows exactly what is happening. So what are you meant to do when that happens? He carries on. You priests, put on your robes and join the outcry. You who lead the people in worship, lead them in lament. It's like, don't sing any happy songs now. Spend the night dressed in sackcloth. Nothing's going on in the place of worship. No offerings, no prayers, nothing. Declare a holy fast. Call a special meeting. Get the leaders together. Round up everyone in the country. Get them into God's sanctuary for serious prayer to God. The strong God has arrived. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Shake the country up. God's judgment is on its way. The day is almost here. The great and terrible day of God's judgment. And who can possibly survive? So Joel's looking at what's going on. And he's going from bad to worse. And he's thinking, is this it? Is this like the final day? And there must have been times in history when people have thought about what's going on in their nation and in the country and thought, well, that's it. This is the end. God must be getting ready to finish history. Thank God he's patient and he gave more time to Joel and he's given more time to you and me. And the, the day of judgment has not arrived. But Joel is saying, we've got to get serious about this. We have to pray. We have to fast. We have to seek God. And he's asking God questions like, what's going on? And I've got questions too. Everybody here has got questions. You look at the world right now. Anybody else got some questions about what's happening? Various things in the world right now. Everybody has questions. We all have questions all the time. And I don't know all of your questions that you've got, but I can pick about five that I know everybody has. 
Everybody asks these questions. In fact, your life, the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions that you ask. You can boil life down to these most important questions. Five big questions. Everybody in life is always asking these questions. I've asked them. You've asked them. We're always asking these questions. Everybody's looking for answers to these five big questions. The, the, the search for answers to these questions is the reason for joy or for pain or for success or for, or for sorrow in the world. People are hungry for answers to these questions. Here they are. You might want to take a picture of them on your phone or whatever. You could refer to them later on if you want to because you need to get answers to these questions. Have you answered these questions? Have you got a ready answer to all of those questions? Because Joel, you see, he was just tired of being ripped off. Of the potential that was there in the fields, of everything that God could do, and the world around him being ripped off. He was tired of the church of his day, if you like, being so under-resourced, being so unable to do everything that God would want it to do. So he's crying out to God about that, and he's saying we need to pray about these things. Can you think of a time in your life when you were ripped off? When it seemed like uh, it should have been better than this by now. That the potential that was there was so, we, we, you know, if that was the bar, we were down here somewhere in our life. See, everybody's asking these five questions all the time. I've, I've asked them all my life. When I was, I remember being a teenager looking for answers. I, I, I'd go to Denton Library, get out all the books and I'd be reading. I was like this, reading philosophy books. When I was like 15 or 16. And then New Age books, reading all these New Age stuff, trying to find out about astral projection and weird things. Nothing worked for me. I think God was protecting me through all of that, to be honest with you. But I was, you know why I was hungry for that? Why I was then looking for, for answers in, in sex and, uh, and in success and all these different kinds of... All these, everywhere I was doing it was trying to come up empty. I was looking for answers to these questions. And you are too. And every time you, you, you try and you, you, get, you think you've got an answer, it turns out to be the wrong answer, then you, you're unfulfilled. And you're going to ask, well, what next? So here's the questions. Number one, who am I? That's the identity question. Everybody's looking for an answer to that question. That's why you wear somebody else. Because you, you want an identity and so you put on somebody else's identity. You wear clothes that project a particular identity. Giorgio Armani, Calvin Klein, Primark, <laughs> looking to put on a brand that will project something of who I am or what I want other people to see when they see me. Next question, where am I from? What's my source? People look at history. People look at genealogy. Just this week I was watching that programme. You know, who do you think you are? Looking back up into your family to be able to get a sense is linked to the one before of who am I? I have to look back. I have to look at my genealogy. So what, what country do I come from? What country did my parents come from? But the problem with that is you can look and look and look at that all the time and never really get an answer because you know what? Everybody's a mixture. Everybody's a mixed up race. There's no, you know, you, you, somebody was telling me this week that they, they, they did a DNA test hoping for a particular result. There was a, they really, they, they like this particular nation. They, they, they're very fond of that nation. They thought they would be that. It turned out not to be right. It's this other nation. Because you can't control that, can you? <laughs> what can you do about that? You are who you are and you are mixed up as much as I am. 
So you're not going to get an answer to your source by looking a few generations back or even more than that. Next question is, why am I here? Probably 99% of, of people in any room you ever go in will not have an answer to that question. They won't really be able to answer that question at all. And the biggest tragedy in life is not death. It's living your life, coming to the end of it, never knowing why you were here. That is a tragedy. Never finding out the reason that you're here on the earth. Next question, number four. What can I do? That's the potential question. The vast majority of people do not even begin to achieve anything like the potential that God made them with. You know, they say you only use 10% of your brain and other people will argue with that. But I've met some people who I'm sure if they only use 10% of their brain, that would be a start. <laughs> the potential of your brain cannot be measured. It's true, isn't it? It's, it's incredible potential that God has placed inside of us. And everybody has this unbelievable potential to be able to do things. I saw this guy and he, he painted these incredible pictures for sale. Beautiful paintings. He's got no arms. It's like, how did you do that? I gave up art when I was about 14. Stopped doing it. I used to be pretty good. Stopped doing it. Stopped practicing it. What could I have done if I'd have carried on? I don't know. What could I have done if I, you know, you could paint a great picture if you went to, if you went to a class and you learned how to do it and you put the time in. Nobody here is not musical. You could learn to play music. You could do that. There's all kinds of things. But what we do, we allow ourselves to settle to a, a lower level than all that God intended us to be. And it's a tragedy. What do most people do? Just keep going round and round. Get up in the morning. Make a living. Go to bed. Get up the next day. Rinse and repeat. Just keep going round and round and round the same circles. No direction forward. No sense of, of even un, un, un releasing. What could I do? What's the ability that God has placed inside of me? Maybe, what's your excuse? Maybe somebody at school told you that you couldn't do it. So you believe them. Believe something else. Believe somebody else. Believe what God says. Yeah. I decided years ago to try and, and use at least 1% more of my brain than most people do. One way in which I tried to do that was that I decided I would be somebody who reads. And I wouldn't just read the odd book when I'm on holiday. I'm going to read. I'm going to read a lot. I'm going to read more. I'm going to read more and more and more and more. And guess what? The more I read, the more I can read. And the more I can read. I've read three books this week. I always read about three books most weeks. I like reading. I'm good at reading. I'm better at reading the more I read. Because what you work gets better. Is this true? There's only Ben agreeing with me here, to be honest with you, and he works for us. It'd be a, a bit of encouragement would be helpful. I stretch myself. Because there's no way you can fulfill the potential God has put inside of you by sitting around waiting for him to do it. He's waiting for you to do it. He's waiting for you to do something. How do I read three books a week? Short books. No, it's not that. It's not that really. It's... Keep on reading, keep on reading, keep on doing it, stretch yourself. Where am I going? That's the destiny question. Which is a lot more to do with direction than destination. But in the end, if you get in the right direction, you're going to end up in the right destination. This is about in this life and after this life. Have you figured out 
this important question yet. What's your ultimate destiny? So if a person never was to work out the answer to any of those questions in their life, do you think that at the end of their life, their life would be considered by themselves or anybody else a success? Well, I don't think it would, but surprisingly, often it is. People can go through the whole of their life and never answer any of those questions. At the end, they'll still get as good a funeral. People still say nice things about them, even though they've absolutely wasted everything that God gave them and never fulfilled their potential. But what if somebody answered one of those questions, got a good answer to it, or an answer that satisfied them? What if somebody, for instance, decided, why am I here? My purpose is I'm going to be a millionaire. And they strove for that and they, they made that their focus. They might have, in some senses, as we often think about it, a better life than somebody who just sat around waiting for millions of pounds to come to them. But ultimately, that's not really the right answer for anybody. Because you've got a bigger purpose than that. It's like Jesus talks about a parable of the talents. And he said, some people got one talent. Some people got two talents. Some people got five. Say five. Five, five talents. Now, if somebody figures out what to do with one talents, one of those answers, they're going to do better than somebody who doesn't bother with any of them. If somebody gets answers to two of them, what if somebody decides, I'm going to work, I'm going to come to terms with where I'm from, I'm going to reconcile my past, I'm going to be happy being who I am, regardless of what has gone on in my family, there's a whole new me started. Are they going to live better than somebody who didn't? Three people. Are they going to live any better and are going to live any different? Yes, they are. Come on, let's set some response back. I want a bit of, I'm, I'm asking questions. They're not that difficult. Somebody works out where I'm from. Somebody gets a sense of, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tap my potential. I'm going to try my best. I'm going to not be lazy. I'm going to work at it. Will they have a better life? Yes. yes. That's a two-talent person. Do you know what you are? You are a five-talent person. That's why you're here. That's the reason God wants you to uncover answers, his answers, not just make up your own, to every one of those questions. Because actually, you don't even have to work them out for yourself. God already will give you the answers. Yeah. It isn't like you've got to try and figure them all out. God's already got them figured out. He's God. Yeah. you just got to come to him. And he'll give you the answers that he already knows that you don't know. Yeah. Is that good news? Yeah. I think it's really, really good news. God gave everybody here five. But... <coughs> You say, well, what's happened to my life then? If you feel like that, that's exactly how Joel was feeling. He was feeling ripped off. He was feeling like I had that and it was taken away. There's a gap between the possibility and the potential and my reality right now. So what do you do when something goes wrong like that? Here's my iPad. Who made it? Apple, Apple made it. It comes in a box. It comes preloaded. Everything that the manufacturer says it, it's capable of... <coughs> It, it, it's, it's packaged, it's ready for that, isn't it? It comes like that, i just got to get it out of the box. The manufacturers are so confident that this can do everything that I want it to do, that it can run all these amazing apps and I can do emails on it and I can do FaceTime on it and Angry Birds or whatever else I want to do. They put their name on it, don't they? Yeah, they put their name on it. Mercedes do the same, Rolex do the same, why? It's the last thing they do when they've made something, they tested it, they don't just send it out, they test it, and then they put their name on it. And then they send it out to me. And they say, no, it should be able to do these things. Now, what I first have to do in order to be able to develop its potential, and this is where a lot of people go wrong, first of all, I need to read the instructions. I need to find out the manufacturer's instructions and operate it the way that the manufacturer says it should be operated. Like it says, charge it up. 
So I've got to go and charge it up. No point me looking at my iPad thinking, why is it not working? I've never plugged it in. So you've got to read the instructions. Do what the manufacturer says. And then if I find that there's something wrong with it and it's not producing its, its potential, it's not doing those things, what I also have with it is this thing that's called a warranty. You know what a warranty is? It says, it's like a piece of paper or whatever, or a promise. If it isn't doing what it's meant to do, you can send it back to the manufacturer. You can give it back to the one who made it. The manufacturer says, I'll pay for the postage. I'll fix it or I'll replace it. I'll give it you. Yeah? Why? For the sake of my name. For the sake of my name. You don't even know the, the makers of the people. For the sake of their name, they'll protect their name. They'll recall cars. A whole, you know, it's going to cost them a lot of money. They'll recall all those cars, all those products. Why? Because there's something not working right with them. So you can bring them back. You can give them back. Well, God says to you today, you are made in my image. I've put my stamp on you. I've put my impression upon you. I've put my image on you. If it's not working right, this life that I've given you. If you've not got answers to those five questions that are satisfactory, do you know what you have to do? Bring it back. Bring it back to me. Come back. Just send it back. Send you back. Send your life back. Send all of you back to me. I've got my stamp on you and for the sake of my name and because I love you, I will save you. If it's gone wrong, give it to me. Trust me to fix it. In Jesus' name. See, Joel saw that the people around him and the world around him, the economy was a mess, the nation was a mess. Personally, there was all kinds of stuff going wrong. W worship was lifeless, the church was weak. Everything's been taken away. What do we do? Well, chapter 2, here's what he says. God says, it's not too late. Come back to me and really mean it. Come fasting and weeping, sorry for your sins. Change your life, not just your clothes. There's that verse from the beginning. Rend your heart, not just your garments. Come back to God, your God. He is kind and merciful, slow to anger, patient, extravagant in love, always ready to cancel catastrophe. Who knows? Maybe he'll turn around and show pity, leaving a blessing behind him, a grain and drink offering for your God. What's that about? Joel's saying, if you come back to God, just as you are with all of the mess and this doesn't work and that doesn't work and I don't know the answer to that question, I don't know what I'm going to do about it, just bring you back to him. Come back to the maker, come back to the manufacturer, give yourself back to him as you are and say, this is broken, I can't fix it. Yeah. What he'll do is he'll say, okay, I'll repair, I'll replace and I'll, and I'll restore if you repent. That's what that word repent means. Repent just means I'm going the wrong way, I'm going to turn around, I'm going to go the right way, I'm going to come back. That's what repent means. He says, if you do that, you repent... I'll restore. I will give you back everything that was taken and then some. Because he goes on to say just a few verses later, one of the greatest verses in the Bible, a promise for somebody here today that you need to grab hold of and say, that's for me. Here it is. I will restore the years the locust has taken away. Nobody can do that but God. Nobody but God has got the power, the ability, the love, the compassion to be able to do that for you. But he says, you just come back to me like that. And oh, it doesn't matter what's been taken away. It doesn't matter how long it's been taken away for. It doesn't matter how empty it feels and how desperate it feels. Bring it to me. Just turn it around to me. Give it over to me and I will restore the years that the locust has taken away. You say it's too late. How do you start off? God said it's not too late. 
It's just starting. It's just beginning for you. Give it to him. Give it to me, he says. I love you. So I, I come with who I am. I come with my questions. Who am I? I come back to God. Identity questions. You know what he says? You're my son. I'm a new creation. I'm loved. I'm adopted into his family. I've got his approval. I don't need everybody else's approval. I don't have to put on identities of other people. I'm loved as I am for me. Where are you from? I come back to God. Where am I from? He says, I'm your source. In Christ, the answers are here. My family. You're, you're part of my family. Can you put the next slide up? My heritage. It's all in Christ. The answer is all in Christ. What's my purpose? God says, find me and you'll find the reason for your life. I'll direct you every step in Christ. What can I do? I can do all things through who? Through Christ who strengthens me. I can't do all things, but I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In the power of the Holy Spirit, I discover, I develop, I deploy my gifts. I give my 100% to him. And you know what he does? He gives, it, he gives me a bigger potential than I ever had before. He increases my capacity, my potential, way above my natural gifts. He gives me all kinds of other supernatural and spiritual gifts too, to go along with it. Where am I going? My destiny is in Christ. He's my destination. Now and forever, I'm with him now, I'm going to be with him forever. I'll never be apart, I'll never be separated from his love. He is my destination. Anybody excited about this? He's where I'm going in life. Where are you going in life? I'm going to Jesus. I'm going with Jesus, I'm going for Jesus. So let me ask, how much of your identity do you want to be in Christ? All of it. How much of your purpose are you going to find in Christ? Four people are saying this, come on. How... How much of your potential do you want Jesus to be able to release in your life? All, All the potential God put inside you, yeah? yeah? Okay. How much God, how much of, do you want God to be in charge ultimately of your future? Yeah. All of it. So, do you really mean that? If you're a Christian, you really mean that. That's part of what we're saying. We're saying all of it for you, 100% of you. If you're not a Christian yet, that's what it is. It's somebody who comes and says, I'm putting my past and my present and my future all in you. So, if that's the case, let me ask you this. How much do you want God to be in charge of your money? Don't be so, so quick to say it. Because sometimes we say that, we say, I want God to be all in charge of it and all that kind of stuff. But then you start talking about something like I did before about tithe, about 10, 10%. And you're like, 10%? 10%? You're having a laugh? Yeah, I'm having a laugh. 100%. See, people say they want God 100% in charge and then they quibble about 10%. I don't get that. I don't get it. What is a first fruits gift? It's me saying to God, God, I want to give you everything I am, all that I am, 100% of me. I'm laying it all down for you. I want you to be in charge of everything in my past and present and future, all of my destiny, everything, all my plans and hopes and dreams are all in you. I want to give you everything. And I can't, and, and with my money, I want to be able to give you everything, but I've got to live and I've got to material, I've got things that I've got to do. But you know what? First and foremost, ahead of all those other things I've got to do with my money, I'm putting you first. I can't give it all to you, so I'm going to give you this. And thank you, actually, it's you who gave it me in the first place. Because what it says in that reading was that, that, you know, it's God who even leaves the grain offering for us to be able to give. You never really give him anything that he didn't already give you. He provided it. You're saying, God, you gave me so much, I just want to give some back. And he says, thank you. It's unbelievable. I know who I am. 
because I know who he is. I know he's my source, he's my provider. He gives me provision for my purpose. He increases my capacity, so I'm generous with what I've got and I get even more. I know my destiny is heaven, so I want to make some treasure going in there in that account too. See, I'm going to finish with this, then we can come forward and invite you to be able to give you first fruits gift as the band maybe come up now. The Apostle Paul talks about some generous people who just blew him away in the church in Macedonia. So these people, they weren't the richest. If somebody could put the buckets out down the front, that'd be good. These were not rich people who gave lots of money. This was poor people, but they blew him away by their generosity because they joyfully gave when nobody thought they really could. And he says, he knew how they did it. Here's how he said, he said, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us and then they gave their money. I'm going to say it again because everybody's watching these guys instead of listening to me. All right, watch me listen to this. This is what they did. It says, they gave themselves first to the Lord. Say first to the Lord. Then to us. And then they gave the money. That's how they did it. So... Some people, when you come down, if you're becoming a member, if you've done that in recent weeks, bring your form and put it in one of these buckets. Just put it in one of these buckets as well as doing that. And that's like you saying, I'm giving my, when we come down, when we're worshipping, we're going to worship and we're going to do it happily. We're going to come down the front and put the money in the in first fruits in these envelopes, yeah? That's you saying, I'm giving myself first to the Lord in worship. Then I'm going to give myself to you, to my brothers and sisters, to the rest of this family. That's membership. Then when you've done that, it's easy to give you money. So, have you given yourself first to the Lord? That's the first thing he wants. He doesn't just want, he doesn't want your money. He wants you. He wants 100% of you. He gave you 100% of you and he wants it all back. All the mess, all the broken bits. He'll take it all and repay and restore. Can I have an envelope? One of the uh, first three envelopes, please. Oh, take mine. Put this thing up on there. This is what he says. This is God's promise to you. As you, um, in, in, as soon as I finish reading this, you can start to come up and put your, put these down the front, and kind of come down happily and do it joyfully and say, God, I, I'm so glad I get to do this and to be able to give to this offering. Honor God with everything you own. Say everything. everything. Everything you own. Give Him the first and the best, not the leftovers. Give him first. Just, that's what trust looks like. It's not I'll wait and see what he does and if he gives me lots, then maybe I'll give him some skimmed off the top. No, give him first and best. If you do that, this is an if-then kind of promise. If you do that, then your barns will burst. Your wine vats will brim over. I don't even drink anymore, but I like that second bit. Should we stand? Lord, we want to honour you with everything that we are and everything we are. Thank you, Lord, that as we come forward, actually what we're saying is we want you to be first. You answer all of those questions about who we are, where, we're, where we've been, where we're going, where we're going in the future. You increase our capacity and our generosity. So, Lord, as a sign of giving you everything, we want to give you something that's generous today. In Jesus' name. Why don't you come forward and start to give now? Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org forward slash media.